Bible with you. There should be a green one somewhere around you. Uh, feel free to use that. And if you like legitimately don't own a Bible, we, we would love for you to have that. Please take that with you. We're, we're Bible people here unashamedly. That's, that's, that's who we are. We're in John 8 this morning. We're going to be looking uh, specifically at verses 12 through 20. So if you are willing and able, uh, would you stand with me now? And let's turn our attention as we, as we sort of center our thoughts and our minds really on the only foundation that we have to stand on as we tune our hearts to the Word of God. This is John 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And your law... It is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who speaks. We thank you for being a God who is not far off, not a, not a God who is distant and unknowable. But you're a God who has chosen to, to reveal yourself to your people uh, through your word. And Lord, we pray now that you would open our eyes, uh, that we might see you. Lord, that you would unstop our, our ears, that we might hear from you. God, I pray that you would quicken our hearts and awaken our souls, that we might know you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, several, several years ago, back in October of 2013, uh, I had the opportunity to travel down to the nation of Haiti with uh, a group of of teachers and, and workers from the church that we were a part of at the time uh, to work with a group there called El Shaddai Ministries, um, ESMI for short. Uh, we spent time working in the cities of, I don't know if you know the geography of Haiti, and I don't have a map here, but we, we spent time in two cities, one called Kais and one called Jeremy, both on opposite sides of the mountain range that runs through the middle of the country, and we ended up hosting a pastors' conference there in Jeremy, where about uh, about a hundred pastors from across Haiti traveled some about, some like thirteen hours on a moped uh, to get to this uh, pastors' conference. It was a, it was a really meaningful time for me uh, in a lot of ways uh, because just a few weeks prior to to saying goodbye to my family, uh, jumping on the plane, and, and flying over to Haiti, I, I, I had lost a friend of mine. And, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you every detail about that story, but we had been running together for several years, uh, part of a group that got together and exercised together. And we were actually playing Ultimate Frisbee 
at the time when uh, he fell down to the ground and uh, started to make some, some odd noises and ultimately went to be with the Lord that day on the field uh, while, we, while me and a group of people were doing absolutely everything we could to prevent that uh, from happening. It was a crazy emotional time for me. Uh, I'd never witnessed anything like that. I'd never experienced anything close to that in my life. And when I, I, I distinctly remember landing in Port-au-Prince, which you've, you ever have the opportunity, it's, it's not like most airports. Um, and, dis, and I distinctly remember just being so thankful uh, to not be here. And, and that's a weird feeling for me because, I, I mean, I really, I really like it here, okay? Uh, and so that was... That was, uh, that was just, it was a weird time for me. And, and, and after we landed in Port-au-Prince, we had this long bus ride, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't know we were going to have. I thought we would land and just kind of go to the house we were going to stay in. But we had like an eight-hour bus ride. Uh, it was dark. Uh, and it was nighttime. Haiti isn't exactly well lit. Um, and, and, uh, and there were extended stretches of time where on that bus ride where you, you just didn't see anything. You'd look out the window and it was, just, it was nothing but darkness. No street lights, no, no cars passing by, no nothing, no, no front porch lights on houses, just nothing, just absolute darkness. And I, I remember one street light, I, I still can visualize this, and you kind of know those experiences where something happens and it's just kind of seared into your memory. And I remember it, you could see it for miles, it felt like miles away, this one light in the distance. And, and so I'm I'm one of those guys who does not like to sit in the back of the bus, so I'm up, up front just kind of watching everything, hoping, hoping we're going to make it to where we're going. I'm watching this light get closer and closer, and it, it casts this just perfect circle on the ground, just a lit circle. It, it, was, it, was just, it was almost weird to see, and underneath that light, in this circle, there was a, and we could see her from a long way off too, it was a little girl, uh, maybe somewhere around five, six years old, in my mind, too young to be like out beside this highway uh, in the middle of the night by herself. But, you know, I'm not her dad or anything. And as we passed by, she took just a couple of steps and in an instant just vanished into, into the darkness. As soon as she stepped out of that circle of light that was on the ground, she stepped out of that. It was a dirt road and she just vanished just it wasn't so much that she walked into the darkness as much as it just absorbed her like she just kind of became part of it and, and she was gone and in our passage today we have the second of what uh of the seven i am sayings of jesus back in six thirty-five, jesus said i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and what we said there is that these I am sayings, these seven that we're going uh, to run across in the Gospel of John, these I am sayings are little windows into the person and work of Jesus. It's his way of communicating his identity to us in a way that we, that we can understand, a way that makes sense to us in our sort of experiential uh, mindset. He, he wants, we always have to remember Jesus wants to be known. He, he, he didn't come to the earth to hide. He came to the earth and dwelt among us, right? He didn't come and hide among us. He came and dwelt among us. He wants to be known, but he wants to be known rightly. He wants to be understood. And so he gives us these statements to reveal to us his, his true nature and character. And so today, he says to us in verse 12, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so before we really get into, before we really in, get, get into that statement, we need to understand the context into which, into which he was and into which he is uh, speaking. Because Jesus doesn't just make these statements out of nowhere. In fact, if you remember, again, back in chapter 6, when he told the people that he was the bread of life, he was speaking to people who'd been hungry. He had fed them because they were hungry. And then he told them about this greater bread that was himself. And so he doesn't just speak these things into abstraction. He does them into context. He told these people who were physically hungry. He pointed to them, he pointed them to their spiritual hunger. The fact that, that more than they need a sandwich, they need to know the Lord. And reminds us that our soul, our soul is hungry. I mean, you know, that's the reason we pray before a meal. It, it, sure, it's to give thanks for the food. But the reality is every single time that you sit down to eat a meal, that's pointing you, that physical need is pointing you, it's reminding you of the fact that you have this spiritual hunger. That's a way to redeem the blessing, by the way. That every time you sit down, you're reminded of the fact that God feeds you, not just physically, not because you have a good sandwich in front of you, but because he feeds you spiritually. There's this need that only Christ can fulfill. And so here in chapter 8, we find Jesus, and he's saying, I am the light of the world. And it should, by this point, it should cause us to go, it should cause us to ask, trigger something in our hearts and minds to start trying to figure out what the context of that statement is. Why is he saying this now? And so to do that, we need to understand the nature and the character of darkness. That's the first thing that needs to happen. If you're a note taker or wanna, if, you're, if you're a good Presbyterian and you need three points, point number one is discern the darkness. Now, what we're going to find is that the Bible actually has a lot to say about it because, because that's often the way that the Bible refers to our present location. The Bible talks about the darkness as the place of ignorance and foolishness. Psalm 82.5 describes those who are walking around without knowledge or understanding as those walking in darkness. And Micah 3.6, the prophet there, describes those being led, by, being led away by false prophets. He describes them as, as those who are in darkness, as those who are blind and without vision. And today we speak of someone who is unaware of something as being in the dark, right? We still maintain that sort of thinking. That's the idea. It's the place of ignorance, that's the darkness. The darkness is also the place of evil and fear. And if you don't know that, all you have to do is ask a child or, or maybe an honest adult, right? The darkness is a fearful thing. That's the whole reason we have things like nightlights in our houses, right? Because darkness is scary. And you know that feeling. I, I, can, I can confess that. I was home alone not too long ago as a grown man, and I, I walked upstairs to make sure everything was off because my family loves to leave every light on the, in the house on at all times, right? Because uh, we can't get this thing lit up enough. That's why God has given us the grace of LED lights. And, um, and so I go up there, and I, there, sure enough, there was a light on, so I cut it off. Nobody's there. It's late at night, and I'm walking back out, and you just get that feeling. You know nothing's there. I was just in the room, but it feels like there's something there. And as a grown man, I ran. <laughs> I, this is not in the notes. I was not prepared to share this story with y'all. And I ran down the stairs and, and, I mean, and into my room, and I'm like, where's the dog at least? And she's just hiding over in the corner because it's like she knows, right? 
we still know this. There's something about darkness. There's something about it that just gets into our souls and we feel it. It's palpable. That's why, that's why scary movies are dark. That's why crime happens at night. This is, this is the world in which we find ourselves. It's the place of evil. It's the place of fear. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. It's like deep darkness. And he says they don't even know over which it is that they stumble. And then Jeremiah 23.12, speaking of the ungodly, speaking of the house of evil, this is what he says. He says, Their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness. It's literally that they're going to be tripping over their evil and not knowing what it is, just stumbling around in the blind. This is how the world tries to live. It's like trying to run a ninja warrior course with a blindfold on, just having no idea what's coming next. That's the foolishness. That's the evil of the world. The darkness is also the place of slavery and bondage. That's the same word that's often translated, uh, or the same word that's often translated as darkness is also translated as gloom. That's what Isaiah 59.9 says. He says, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Gloom is emotional darkness. It weighs on us. Gloom is a sense of despondency. Like we feel it. We feel gloom. Like shackles on our ankles. It's that soul darkness. It's it's just a weight to drag around. Like like with every step that we take, it's just a little more than we have to give. That's what gloom is. Some of you know well seasons of gloom. Some of you have felt the darkness of gloom. Some of you have traveled that road, and some of you may have a foot on that path right now. Darkness is also the place of judgment and wrath. You can see that in Zephaniah 1.15, where the prophet describes the day of judgment as being a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. That's what the darkness brings. The darkness brings distress, it brings anguish, it brings ruin, and it brings devastation. If we truly consider the condition of the world today, we know that that is an accurate picture of the place in which we find ourselves. That's the street that we live on. And in large part, I want to be honest with you, we've accepted that. We've adapted to it. We have a sense in our souls that there is a light, but, but we're outside the circle. We're like the little girl on the side of the road in Haiti. Like There is a light, but that's not where we dwell. And so we find our homes. It could be said we are now nocturnal creatures. Our eyes have been adjusted to the darkness, and it's actually where we're comfortable Reminded back in John 3.19, he said that when Jesus came, the people loved the darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light. You see, we love what we're comfortable with. And so we find comfort in the darkness. We find comfort in the gloom because that has been our world. That's what we've known. 
And it's into that context, okay? I know that's a heavy way to start this out, but it's into that context, a context of darkness, a context darkened by war, a context darkened by hatred, a context darkened by uh, racial uh, oppression and inequality, a context of poverty, a context of sickness and, and disease and, and tropical storms and flooding and a context of mosquitoes, right? It's into the context of human trafficking. It's in the context of child abuse. It's into the context of date rape and, date rape and porn addiction. And it's a context of division. Division physically, uh, division socially, division economically. It's into the context of haves and have-nots, the context of survival of the fittest, the context of relative truth, and what you might just call free market morality, where, where whatever the majority decides is right is right. That's the context. That's the darkness into which Jesus steps in and says, I am the light of the world. It's into the darkness of the world with its pain and suffering, its depression and gloom, and its getting sadder sadness that Jesus enters into. And so while we recognize and discern the darkness, man, we better not remain fixated there because in Christ we're called now to look, to look at the light. Look back at verse 12. Look back at verse 12 and notice there that Jesus doesn't say that he is a light of the world. He doesn't say that he is some light of the world. Or one of the lights of the world. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the, the light of the world. He's not one of many lights. He's the light. I still remember a few years ago. In fact, it was, it was definitely a bunch of years ago now at this point when a store opened in the mall. And for you young people, uh, by, by young people, I mean anybody younger than me, malls were those places you have to go to buy stuff before Amazon existed, right? That was, that was what those were. I still remember they opened a store at the mall um, that basically sold nothing but candles. Uh, I, I, I don't know how a place like this exists, honestly. The store was, uh, was full of them. And as someone who hates like smelly things, like who doesn't like artificial scents, it was basically, uh, it was my greatest nightmare come true, right? And, and uh, it was just the worst environment imaginable. I, I get a headache today just like thinking about it. And, and the idea behind this place was you go in there, you smell all these things, you pick the one that you like, you take it home, uh, presumably you find a good place for it uh, in your house, and then you set that thing on fire in your house, and before you know it, right, your entire house, your, your clothes, your children, your pets, everything that you own in the world begins to smell like that candle, like it becomes the default scent of your life. That's how a lot of us tend to think about Jesus. We sniff around a little, and then we take the one that we like. We take the Jesus that we like, and we bring him home. We leave all the other ones behind, right? We bring him home. We put him in the place in our life. We put him in the place in our house where we're comfortable with him being. We turn him on when it's comfortable for us to turn him on, when we really want some Jesus sent throughout the place. 
We have him stay in that place, and, and he only lights up when we want him to. And then, if we're honest, eventually, eventually we get tired of that scent. But there's no need to fear, because the good news is that you can just go back to church or go back to the, the, this, this place where there's all these versions of him, and you just pick a new one that you like, and you bring home and restart the entire process. Just get another little light from all the thousands of possibilities, and then we just keep trucking along. But you see, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't offer that. He doesn't say, I am a light of the world. He doesn't say, come to the buffet of little lights and pick out your favorite one. He says, I am the light of the world. He is the one light. You could say it like this, Jesus is not interested in what you want him to be. He's concerned for you to know him as he truly is. Again, this is the reason that we come here week after week after week, and we're thanking God that we still get to come here week after week after week, and we gather together and we open up his word because that's the life-giving word. Listen, I, I, know, I know that I love Christian books. I mean, I've got, I've got shelves full of them. If you need a good one, I've probably got one. I can, I can give you or recommend, but those are not the Word of God. I mean, they point us to Him. They maybe direct our gaze a little in that direction, but it is not like hearing from Him directly. And so we come back to the Word of God that it might show us what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of us. That's what the Scriptures principally teach. By the way, that's... I didn't make that up. That's the shorter catechism, question number three. So let's just consider the Gospel of John. Let's just consider up until this point in the Gospel of John, we've been making our journey through this Gospel. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this Jesus, this, this light of the world. And this is just using verses that include the word light to talk about Jesus. This is in John 1.4. John starts early with it, right? Verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so we understand that, that there is some conflict between darkness and light. They do not get along. They don't play well together. And while the darkness resists the light, it is a defeated enemy, and it cannot win. It cannot overcome. And then down in verse 9, this is still chapter 1, by the way, uh, we're told that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And if we jump then to chapter 3, we see again that the people love the darkness rather than the light, but it tells us that it was because their works were evil. And so Jesus now, standing at this point in chapter 8, right on the heels of the Feast of Booths, says to the people who have gathered, he says, I am the light of the world. The word there for light is the Greek word phos. I don't, I don't quote a bunch of Greek words at you all the time, but this one's neat. This is the word phos. And what we should recognize is that the moment he said that, that the moment Jesus says this in Jerusalem to these Hebrew people, that they would have understood, they would have recognized those people would have just been celebrating God's people coming out of Egypt. See, that's what they've just spent an entire week. They've just spent an entire week celebrating the fact that God led his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And so when they heard that word phos, they would have immediately remembered that time when God led his people with a great light. 
That's why Jesus' next statement is so profound because he says this, don't miss this in 12, whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. When Egypt, I mean when Israel, sorry, walked out of Egypt, they didn't walk alone. They never walked alone. And I'm not talking about Moses, okay? They didn't just wander out into the wilderness. They followed something. And we see it in Exodus chapter 13, where we're told that, uh, uh, and this is while they're walking out of the darkness, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of everything that that they had ever known. After generation and generation of slavery, after generation of being uh, subservient to these Egyptian people, they're walking out into the wilderness after everything they had ever known. And it says this, that the Lord went before them by day and a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night, and a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. You see, he led them. He went before them. He showed them the way. And listen to me. Please don't miss this. The the Israelites went through some nights. And I'm not just talking about nighttime. They went through some real dark seasons. They, They went through some dark times. They went through seasons that were hard and difficult. Everything did not just go smoothly for them all the time. And some of that was their fault, right? I mean, they they brought some of that on themselves. I mean, the golden calf, that's on them, okay? They brought that onto themselves, but, but sometimes the dark seasons were brought upon them by outside forces. Sometimes there were other things that came upon them. And so whether it was they brought it on themselves or whether it came from some outside force, guess what? The, the, the pillar was there. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, it was there. The light didn't leave them, even when they seemed to love the darkness. And so now we know that it's more than just looking at the light. It's more than just seeing it and recognizing it. Here in John 8, Jesus calls his people to follow him. To follow him. We're called to follow the light. And that means that we, that we follow him, that we, that we trust and obey him, even if he calls us out into the wilderness. If you ever walk through an elementary school, like you'll see the little ones, um, especially the like kindergarten and first graders, the youngest ones, they do this pretty well, especially like the beginning of the school year when it's a new environment, they don't know their way around. You will see them lined up, you will see them quiet, and you will see them following their teacher. But by the time they get to second grade, I mean, it's a full-out war to get your kids to line up because they know their way around. They know this building. They know who's in that classroom. They know the teachers who are really strict, right? They know what they can get away with. They know the places that that it's okay to go and the places it's not okay to go. And what happens when they get a little older is they refuse to line up. They refuse to follow and they begin to trust themselves. And we do that too. Do you know it's when I trust myself? It's when I trust my own heart and my own desires, when I trust that I know what's best, that I know the right way, that's when I tend to find myself in trouble. That's when I find myself in the dark. It's when I rest upon me alone instead of Christ alone. J.C. Ryle says to follow Christ is to submit ourselves wholly and entirely to him as our only leader and savior. 
and to submit ourselves to him in every matter, both of doctrine and practice. It's not just what we say we believe, it's what we live out. It's what we just talked with the kids about a few minutes ago. It's not just what we know, it's what we follow, it's what we do, and it's to trust him as both our Savior in whom we rest for our eternal lives and as our Lord in whom we follow throughout each moment of every day. And we will find ourselves at times in some mess. I mean, we're good at that. If the human race is uniquely gifted in any one particular way, it's getting ourselves into trouble. We either find it on our own or someone else brings it, brings it on us. But either way, it's just going to happen. And it's those moments, it's those moments that we have to remember who we are in Jesus. We have to remember what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. He said that at one time, at one time you were darkness. That's what he said. But now, but now you are light in the Lord. You see, that's what you were, but it's not who you are now. And so now we walk as children of life and we are of light and we try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So, so listen, if you are in Christ, if you, have, if you have trusted in Christ alone for your eternal life, you have to remember what 1 Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter 2, uh, 9, that in Christ you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And all the kids who were up here a few minutes ago say yes and amen. We just heard that. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But if you haven't, like if you haven't ever trusted in Jesus Christ for your eternal life, I want you to know the offer is there for you. Maybe, maybe all this is new to you. Like maybe you've been around the church your whole life, but for whatever reason, you haven't followed after Jesus. Like you've done this. I'm like, you've come here. You're here now. But tomorrow's your day. And the day after that one's your day. And then the day after that's your day. And then eventually we get back to Saturday and that one's college football's day. But the next day, that's God's day. And really, if we're honest, he gets like, he gets like 70 minutes. And if you came early in fellowship, man, you are super spiritual. And maybe this is all you've ever, all you've ever done. Like, maybe you were wounded at some point. Maybe darkness found you. And maybe, maybe you've even run after it. I want I want you to I want you to hear this too. It, like that's okay. I, I want you to know that your sin, your sin cannot outweigh the grace of God. And the wounds inflicted upon you cannot overcome the grace of God. And I know that's messy. Please don't hear me standing up here saying, "All you got to do is say I believe, and you'll walk out of here today, and everything will be perfect." I know that's not true. You might have some battles. Like there might still be some dark nights coming for you. But I would rather go through the dark night with the light than without it. You see, the darkness that has encircled you cannot withstand the light of the world. It cannot overcome Jesus. 
So step out of that darkness. Take your blindfold off. Stop running this race in the dark, man. Stop holding on to the things of this world. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, it's just so beautiful that Eric prayed this verse earlier, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know what to deny ourselves means? It's a weird one. Our nature is darkness. So to deny ourselves, to deny our natural bents, our natural leanings, our natural desires and intentions, that that is to deny the darkness that is in there. Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. To deny ourselves is to see the sin in our lives, is to see the world, is to see the brokenness, the fear and doubt, to see the suffering all around us, is to confess that sin which we own, that it's a sin that I have to own before a holy and just and righteous God, and to turn from it. See, the first step of faith is an act of following. To turn from sin unto Christ is to begin to follow him. And you can take that step because he welcomes us, even with all our mess. He just doesn't allow us to stay that way. We discern the darkness. We're not blind. We look at the light, and then we follow the light. And I'll just be honest, I, for one, am really glad that God allows me to walk that path with you guys. That's why he doesn't call us into salvation on our own. He calls us into a family. So we walk together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do better for us than we deserve. That you're a Father who gives gifts. That you're a Father who extends his hand that you are a Father who gives grace when we deserve wrath, who exerted justice on His Son so that we might be justified in Him. And so we pray, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would walk with us this week and help us to actively follow you. Like, that's not something that just happens. We have to daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow you. So Lord, I pray that for Monday. Lord, I pray that for Sunday afternoon. I pray that for every moment of every day that we might look to you as not just our Savior, but as our Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.